Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? we have reached the end of the line. This is it. It's all over. This is the end. My name's Eric. We're both here. We have a journey conclusion. Yeah, this is... You know by this point, we've done a million of these. Who doesn't know? Someone might not know. Let's yeah. break it down one more time. If you don't know, this is our. this is the triumphant finale to our seven-episode arc where we take a deep dive looking at all exploitation cinema for all time. It's definitive exploitation cinema look, and it feels like that's 100% untrue. And then a definitive look at the foundations and the becomings of the French extreme film movement, which at this point on the seventh episode, you have convinced me may not actually be a movement, um, so we're really doing a bad job is what this sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I have, I've is definitely I, talked I, myself out of the, the entire merits <laughs> of this. I'm firmly on team. This is just seven random movies from France, right. mostly. Yeah. Ending and, with and, a movie in Romania. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, on the exploitation side, it feels like removing outliers. We've done no movies. Is That's how it feels. Yeah, so let me ask you early on here, since this is our last one of these for the year, we're, um, yep. I'll say right away that I'm going to avoid spoiling anything. I'm going to avoid spoiling the big fucking thing on mm-hmm. them. But I think we could avoid what most people would consider spoilers. Can you commit to that for Battle Beyond the Stars? Oh, yeah, 100%. All right. So we're going to avoid spoilers. If you didn't see the movies, we still want you to come along for the ride, but as always, I'd urge people to see the movies. I think they can find these. I -hmm. found them. Yep. I don't have any amazing special skills. I just have 15 streaming services like the rest of humanity. So, (laughs) Yeah, because I don't have to pay for cable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Didn't even need to bust out the VPN for this, so we're still in good territory on, uh, on France. But I wanted to ask you right at the top of the show what you think the aims of this episode should be, given that this is our last time. Oh, this to, is easy to do one of these journey episodes. This is an easy answer. It's to 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 me. This is a conversation. We may not come to an overarching, heady, pompous conclusion of what we've learned. That'll probably be something reserved for our year-end finale show. But I think what I would like to what I would like to accomplish is talk about talking about um, two things. One, where these these two particular things end, and I mean that how they end, and then obviously they're sort of extrapolated legacy because like nothing ever ends. There's always a reboot. Like uh, you mean where the movements end, not the the film's plots? Can't talk about where they end. Yeah, that's, that's a spoiler. Right. Okay, so yeah. a spoiler-free look at the end of the genre, <laughs> at the end of the, <laughs> the end of the so-called movements, and maybe the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think uh, I think we can talk about some specifics with both of the movies today. The only other thing that I'd really like to touch on is maybe a uh, where people can go from here. Because sure. okay. the the whole place I wanted to start with this, and really one of the the many aims, but one of the core aims of Double Feature is to open up other avenues of exploration for people and give them, um, you know, give them some stuff to take home with them. And so anytime I've been able to talk to people about these uh, French extreme movies, especially, it's to get them moving down a path, to get them thinking about, just kind of see what's out there because it's a very weird movement for something people think is very monolithic. It's not at all. And then people will know that about exploitation because we're covering a different entire branch mm-hmm. of the exploitation tree every time. So I'll do my best to uh, open up some avenues on them, on ill, and uh, hopefully you can do that for us on this first one. That'll sure. be on the stars. Yeah. Which we're so, not into yet because there's a Patreon too. Oh, Fuck, shit. that was I so close. Forget. So it was close. really good. You did a really good job. Yeah, I'll whatever. take the, I'll take the fall for whatever. that. Patreon.com forward slash double feature is what I should have said a little bit earlier. <laughs> uh, that's where you can go to. Did you hear uh, how my voice even went up and everything? Yeah, I was so to learn about. Um, all things double feature, all things. You can learn about things we've done in the past. Really good example of that is the six other shows that we have uh, done for this journey. And better example is the 10 other journeys we have done on double feature. I don't know if we have um, that many, do we? We've got quite I a mean, few now. It's we're on year fourteen, man. It's got to be ten. Well, we haven't been doing we haven't been doing this. Uh, okay, well, listen. There's an argument to be made that one of our, um, well, I think our first journey actually was when we did all of the Rocky films paired against uh, Asian extreme cinema, its foundations, oh, yeah. its American That's adoption, true. and then uh, Jap- Japan's response to the American adoption. Oh yeah, that was um, all over the place. That one was good. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot. Um, Look, the the first episode of this one. If you have missed it and you just want to get clued in, we're assuming you know all the stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, start at marijuana and criminal lovers back at the beginning of the year. But yeah, if you guys aren't on the Patreon, get on the Patreon and Patreon Patreon. I fucked that up. But yeah, if you guys aren't on the Patreon, on the Patreon you can get all of the previous journeys of the show, which are these multi episode arcs. And you can binge them as opposed to having to wait like totally. so many of you unfortunately had to do. Totally. You can hear a time <laughs> capsule of people talking mm-hmm. about Woody Allen films, discovering sure. those before Hammer we knew movies. what yeah. the fuck was going on there. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was probably not the one mm-hmm. to highlight, but it's on there. No, I Look, think it was. No, that was a good way many, to do that. Many weird things on the Patreon, yeah. and they can be yours. Hear all our cancelable shows on the Patreon. <laughs> all right. Let's get the fuck away from that. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. <clears throat> Battle Beyond the Stars. Okay. Battle Beyond the Stars is, I'm very proud of my programming on this one because um, on the second episode mm-hmm. of this journey, we covered Roger Corman's The Wild Angels and we touted it as one of the most the most exploitation exploitation movies by probably the most prolific exploitation director. The it's just a monster of exploitation cinema. It started the biker genre. Roger Corman is a king 
among independent filmmakers. So leave it to our hero to become the enemy and kill exploitation with Battle Beyond the Stars. Battle Beyond the Stars. Wait, cost. you set this up so so long ago. <laughs> I understand it. It's all finally clicked. <laughs> this was the so-called death of exploitation that you this teased the, out a million. Yeah. This was on, on like the second episode or something. Yeah. First, maybe even. Wow. Yeah. We've arrived. I really got I got the moment just there. <laughs> Battle Beyond the Stars. I'm just going to say this and everything is going to click for you. Battle Beyond the Stars costs $3.5 million. That's how much this movie cost. Yeah. Three and well, a half million Tease that out a bit for, for people who don't spend all day on conference calls with rich weirdos trying to make <laughs> movies. But this is $3.5 million in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. um, and, and furthermore, this is the, there's two reasons. So what I you're saying to do is this. that's a lot. You're saying. I'm saying for, for exploitation, that's yes. an enormous. That's a, that is a studio amount of money mm -hmm. for your exploitation film. Um, the other thing, you know, in keeping with our trend of, you know, talking about certain brands of exploitation, we also get to talk about one of my personal favorites, which is the Mockbuster. Um, so that will definitely be a big part of our conversation today. But so before when we had last time we took, we saw Roger Corman, um, he was making biker movies, run and gun with a bunch of hippies, you know, just trying to make a quick buck off of some cool ideas and some counterculture. But he, by the 1980s, he has this film studio distribution studio called new world pictures He's making his own shit. He's producing everything. And I don't want to say that he has become uh, the enemy of who he used to be, because that's certainly not true. There is still so much, you know, rock and roll high school came out of New World Pictures just years before this. So it's not like we're turning out. It's not the asylum. Mm -hmm. um, and, but we are to the point where exploitation has become the mainstream. You know what I mean? Where instead of exploitation being a reaction to things going on socially, things, um, even just last time we covered, you know, how people wanted to see naked people, but that wasn't allowed. You know, this isn't even a reaction to taboos. This is, this is literally a reaction to what made actual money. What if we just copy Star Wars? And this isn't even the only one. It's not even the only one Roger Corman made. It's not even the only one Roger Corman made with the footage from this movie. Okay. Uh -huh. He's literally made three other Star Wars mockbusters using footage from Battle Beyond the Stars. Oof. Um, but you know, it it it's in a place also, to be fair, this is this is one of the very first um movies that Corman put out on video which we've also talked about exploitation being heavily uh, influenced by getting asses in seats, but you don't need asses in seats. You instead need, and if you haven't seen it, please look it up, a really good poster. That's all you need now because it needs, your, your, your cassette case has to look really good. What does the has to poster look, appealing. look like? Star I Wars. I don't think I've like, Oh no no no, I have seen the poster. I have It's seen, yeah. this it's this intense epic poster with <laughs> So by good the, you mean with the titty ship. Star Wars as well as the rest of the movie. 
Yeah, it just has to be an appealing poster, but artistically appealing. It, it you don't need it to say, you know, you won't believe what happens. You need it to look like Star Wars, except the spaceship has boobs. That's like the important caveat to uh, because you can never fully get away from the proclivities of the young uh, teenager to just see some titties. That is a, so, a through line through <laughs> all, many of these films. Um, this movie was described heavily as uh, the Magnificent Seven in space. So that can bring us to a good log line. Um, since we are still doing those this deeply into uh-huh. the journey, we have uh-huh. managed to keep it. We've managed to hit it every time almost. There's one more chance to fail. <laughs> Do you want to logline this? Or? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's like when a mysterious force shows up to fuck up your whole galactic thing, mm-hmm. you have to run around hiring people with no money mm-hmm. to make a film. To what what are we doing? <laughs> Sorry, I lost lost my train of thought. I'm caught up on something. Yeah, so you gotta go out and recruit a bunch of people to, you know, fight your space war for you. Right. Right. Because the guy who, by the way, predated the Wrath of Khan, I believe. So kudos to that. <laughs> right? Doesn't this this predates that by I think like two or three years? It might. I'm not a hundred percent. It doesn't sure. seem possible that this movie yeah, came up with know, anything original, but I think that is the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do you think there's anything I'm leaving on the the cutting room floor here in the terms of our logline? I mean, no, honestly, I think you've overdone it. If anything, this yeah. movie, this, you know, it is it's not a movie that relies on its actual substance to succeed. Um, it just needs to feel a lot like Star Wars. That's the thing well, about Mockbuster. About this feeling like Star Wars, because I yeah. think there, you know, we, in addition to saying we're not going to spoil these movies. When you say something like, we've done a couple movies, a couple that you've left out here that are mm-hmm. the Corman sort of Star Wars, the, you know, yeah. whether they're a star crash or a dark star or different, a whole gradient sure. of Star Wars influences, mm-hmm. uh, some more original and some less original and even some elsewhere in our journey. Mm-hmm. But this one really hits the, this is like, uh, you know, like a, a Wish Halloween costume version of Star Wars Absolutely. on a lot of this. So yeah. I think it might be worth breaking that down for people who yeah. haven't seen it or maybe don't remember just how on the nose this is. Yeah, it's it does a lot of the space warfare with the models that Star Wars was really famous for doing, um, the way they sort of whiz around space. Um, and it's also the, honestly, the score is like very intelligently oh derivative of yeah. the star Wars score. Exactly what I would say. Yeah. Intel- it, um, it has to have a pretty deep understanding, I think of what the score is doing mm-hmm. in order to mimic the score that well, without just kind of redoing the theme, without doing right. like a photos of you, right here kind of, sure. uh, yeah. Was that Amityville that had that? Right. No, it was uh Leprechaun two or three. Was it Leprechaun? <laughs> it was. Oh my god, that had like a cure knockoff. Yeah. yeah. So the score just feels like the sort of thing that's in a Star Wars um mm-hmm. you know, 
uh, I was listening, I was watching the movie by myself, and when the movie finishes, the person in the other room goes, uh, it sounded like Jurassic Park or something. Yep. Like, yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think character by character, you know, we have a very Han Solo type. But actually, you know, to the same note as the score, it sort of really hits the, like, I think one of the things that uh, made me really appreciate watching this as, as kind of an exercise or in terms of breaking down movies is that because it does, because you know it's doing Star Wars, it sort of takes some of the mysticism out of like, how did Star Wars become this giant thing that is Star Wars? Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we know Star Wars and people are so, um, we've seen a lot more examples of it and we've seen Star Wars try to kind of like copy its original magic mm-hmm. twice over, once through prequels and once through sequels. So we sort of knew when we saw the sequels, like that first one came out, mm-hmm. the first Abrams one. And yep. it was sort of like, oh, they have to have characters like this again. They have to right. do this sort of plot. Sure. They have to. You have to do, you have to do, uh, you have to do uh, geometrical wipes. You need your geometrical yeah, wipes. Yeah, so even the editing, transition. you know, yeah. we sort of just by seeing another crack at it, we start to really we're able to synthesize it a lot better. But I don't think that's even as good as watching this movie because mm-hmm. you can see where it thinks the magic is, mm-hmm. and down to um, you know, you look at the the sort of like mockbuster Han Solo. Mm-hmm. And it's not copying too many specific Han Solo things. There are some like Leia kiss quip kind of moments, mm-hmm. you know, in here and there that seem directly like, oh yeah, that's like the scene from Empire in the beginning of the whatever. Right. But the sort of cowboy loner archetype, mm-hmm. right? So it's sort of go instead of just going, let's do Han Solo. They're going, wait, so what was Han Solo doing? Right. Let's steal yeah. from the same it's, thing it stole from, which is, you know, it's the way to do it. Sure. Well, it's it's funny because the movie, the movie, and I, I have to read, credit Roger Corman for this, but in there are mockbusters that exist that you've probably seen, some more famous than even their original counterparts, um, that uh that do sort of what you're describing as you know, they just kind of go, I don't know, it kind of looks like this. And honestly, Star Crash is a really good example of this. It's a movie that that on its surface, you go, okay, this is like Star... Star. I see everything that they're literally lifting off of Star Wars, and then they're just putting it together in some random order. But I feel like with Battle Beyond the Stars, what's different is that it's an exploitation version of the tiny details of each thing in Star Wars. It's what's exploitation Han Solo? What's exploitation Millennium yeah, Falcon? Yeah. What's exploitation Star Wars score? And it's it basically it dissects Star Wars and then takes each sort of piece and goes, okay, so it's very important that we have multiple races of different aliens and they have to have different abilities and sort of weird things about them, but they can't be too complicated because they're really only going to be on the screen for about 10 minutes and they're definitely going to die. So, well, yeah, it's like, um, doing a, give me like a candy bar. Not rageous would be our double feature candy bar, right? That's mm -hmm. like the official sanctioned candy bar. 
right. whatever the vegan alternative. So I want to make vegan alternative to not outrageous, right? Right. So look, there's a couple of things I could do if I want to make a candy bar like not outrageous. The easiest thing I could do is just take all the the same ingredients, maybe make them vegan, and now I have my own take on not outrageous. Mm-hmm. But it's basically just a carbon copy of not outrageous. Or I can go like, all right, well, why is not outrageous interesting? Well, it's chocolate, and then we have like a. It's actually been a while since I've had one since they're not yeah. vegan. But what is it? It's like peanut butter and peanuts. Chocolate, peanuts, peanut butter, and caramel. Okay, so we have these core ingredients. Now we know the chocolate is on the outside. It's a contrasting flavor. That's its purpose. We know what the caramel is doing there. That's really sweet. It's on the inside. It, it's sort of like you break the candy bar open. You got the commercial with the, the long taffy strands of <laughs> caramel. Great. It's got a nut in it. What's the ingredient I'm missing? The, just the peanut butter. Then the peanut butter, right? Which is yeah. related to the peanuts in some way. Okay, mm-hmm. so we don't need to go too deep into this. <laughs> but, you know, the more creative way might be, uh, like there's a brand, Justin's, <laughs> a vegan mm-hmm. brand, Justin's. And what Justin's kind of does is go like, okay, well, dark chocolate, not milk chocolate. Mm-hmm. Okay, still chocolate, fine. And then uh, almond butter. Oh, that's mm-hmm. different, but it serves the same purpose as peanut butter. And then, I don't know, maybe you could even do something like, we're going to use cashew butter and put cashews in it. There you it's go. It's still a yeah, crunchy sure. nut. It's still, sure. and so now you're not directly mm-hmm. clone, co- you're not going, I'm going to give you nutrageous, but doesn't taste as good. Because right. <laughs> we don't know the, the actual secret recipe that's clearly been cracked, which is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So you go, okay, well, let's see like kind of what they're fucking around with. Now, does this movie get away with that i don't know that's sort of the you know <laughs> that's the artistic call but but yeah well i'll it, tell you one of the things that i i still think reads is fucking magical is uh that time is just kind of kind to this in terms of how these movies were made and the models and the effects like today it does not matter to me you know the story of star wars in my mind is the weakest part. Mm-hmm. I don't care about ancient mysticism. I don't care about religions. I don't care about all of the light, dark, good, evil. Like that stuff's pretty basic to me. But I love the sounds, the models, the world, mm-hmm. the way, yep. the matte paintings. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff you don't get to see any. People refuse to use models because they're too mm-hmm. cheap, too practical, and too good looking. So we cannot put them in films. Yeah, it's illegal. Absolutely not. Yep. I don't know why people don't use models. It's like <laughs> the easiest thing you could be doing to make films better. So, you know, you go back and watch a movie like this and I, it's magic all over again. It's like, wow, look at their Star Destroyer. And to look at, here's another, you know, space bathtub shot. And it's, it's really interesting to me, especially because Star Wars is so iconic that you kind of know the fucking shots. You know it mm-hmm. opens. You know the angle the Star Destroyer is at. Like you're just replaying a scene you've already seen in your head. Whereas this is a totally fresh, <laughs> fresh, right. you know, a totally fresh. See, it's Rip like off. seeing Star Wars you haven't <laughs> seen before. You sure, know? it's like seeing yeah. some of that stuff for the first time. Right. It's not a very interesting story. It's that's probably why it never made it into the Star Wars universe. <laughs> but it does feel it's, like it's in the Star Wars universe. 
Yeah. Well, I think the goal is for Star Wars is to have not a very interesting story, not literally no story. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know. So as the death of exploitation, which is, you know, my exploitative way of getting you guys to listen to all seven episodes, um, this is, you know, it's uh, the, my point being, this is a, you know, $3.5 million movie just to contrast, uh, marijuana cost 10 grand or something. Yeah. Um, and you know, you have fucking big name actors in this movie. Uh, I mean, big name by our standards. Um, mm. and these special effects and this whole, I mean, this was, you know, this was a big production. This was, this was the king of exploitation making a fucking studio level production. And shortly hereafter, everything went to video. Um, and what that means in the terms of exploitation is that it really sort of killed a lot of the independent spirit of exploitation in some ways because you no longer had this guaranteed theater spot. You weren't going to make a movie. It mm-hmm. wasn't going to go in a theater. You know, that's when you start seeing, you know, that's when, when slasher movies and these other movies, you know, that never made it to the theaters. These, that's why sequels became so powerful because certain, you can make sequels to movies that were moderately successful, cut down all of your distribution costs by just going straight to video. Um, you could also, you could also recoup some, some costs of your film by redistributing and recutting your movie for TV, which happened to battle beyond the stars. Corman sold it to like CBS or something, cut it down. You know, the movies, the movie's a, a monstrous 70 minutes or whatever. Yikes. And he cut it down to like a cool 45 so that it could fit in an hour time slot with commercials and made some money off of it that way. And once all these avenues of... Gotta make time once, for a guy throwing rubber chickens. That's right. The, that's what's, <laughs> I don't know if this was ever on Spangoli, but it should be. But once, once these movies didn't need to be in theaters anymore, sort of the... I feel like I don't want to say exploitation died per se, but it definitely changed and you could get away with a lot more shit could be way nastier. You could get like things could be grosser. You could get away with NC 17s and still have a place in cinema. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and you know, it's not, not to say that the, the eighties video exploitation world isn't one of my favorites in the entire cinematic history, but it's definitely not this sort of battle beyond the stars to me marks the, the real apex of what exploitation eventually amounted to, which is essentially a movie peer to peer, shoulder to shoulder with studio movies. It went going, how do we, you know, we don't have the, we don't have what studios have. How are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to make a movie that earns some dough and just, you know, pay our fucking crew to a movie that costs 3.7 million earns 8 million back. Yeah. And, you know, at that point you can't even argue that it, the, the punk rock is gone, right? The, the Ramones have sold out and it's not to say that, you know, it's not to say that that last, it's not to say that Dee Dee Ramone's rap album wasn't really good. It's just not, it doesn't have the same spirit. 
And so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I feel like this is this is my flag in the sand for if you want to see where exploitation ends, it's right here. There are other movies like this that played in the same arena with the same sim- with a similar budget, but nothing that really nothing that Corman did that feels like this is you know, going from putting people in plastic suits in the bottom of the ocean as a sea monster for literally $3,000 to millions to recreate space battles. R.I.P. How depressing. Right? (laughs) It always ends with Star Wars. Star Wars just kills everything. (laughs) Let me uh, bring you out of your pit of despair with a lovely French film, the film Francais called (laughs) Il. Um, a movie called Them. Yeah. I want to know where we are in our... So now we've done all these and I talked, mm-hmm. you know, I've talked on all of these episodes about course correcting the public conversation about New French Extremity and what it means. So we've looked at that enough times. But I do want to know your perspective. Now that we're here, you've seen Them. Mm-hmm. We, the listeners, have all gone through these movies together. Tell me the story of New French Extremity in a couple sentences here as you've seen it on this journey. Yeah, so, you know, it starts with these these sort of shockingly violent actual human stories uh, that are all clearly a response to something going on in the French zeitgeist at the time. Um, and eventually they reached a point where the the shock value i would say i don't want to say exceeded the artistic value but definitely evened out you know it was a 50 50 shock and art movie which to me is 100 percent art but you know i'm for the sake of this argument um and then basically it's a race right that's what it is 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 you start with a minimal percentage of shock and a high percentage of french art and over the course of what is this like 11 months Mm. uh that percentage eventually equalizes at which point it becomes a global phenomenon and then the shock uh the rather the 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 artistic value of the films um as far as like a human experience goes takes a backseat to being as shocking as possible yeah um, we we get a pretty n- sorry go ahead i was just going to say not to say that I'm not trying to sit here and be like high tension and martyrs and them are devoid of artistic integrity because I don't believe that. But just from having seen the early stuff, right? Having seen Criminal Lovers and Pola X and 29 Palms, those are, those are movies that are challenging to my psyche in the way that them is challenging to my fucking stomach yeah 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 (laughs) yeah well i think that what we do see as these movies go on is um you know when we look at all of these movies we consider the total canon even though it's such as we talked about a couple times now such a loose clump of films in such a short period of time one of the things that really creates some legacy for these movies is although I decry like, oh my God, no one's paying attention to this thing I like anymore. And that's sort of our um, our motivation to put them on the shows in this way. There are people having a conversation about the new French extremity. 
they come along once in a while. And of course, the more infamous ones get invoked all the time. People are still, anytime you meet somebody who watches extreme movies and you guys start dishing about them, somebody's going to hit martyrs. Like mm-hmm. that's just, so it it lives in such infamy. But what's, but the makeup of this movement is perfectly created to have two different, to basically be a, a dual audience or a, um, to hit two different kinds of audiences. The first is towards the beginning of the movement where you have a very critic heavy type of movie, festival movies, films that get write-ups, People talk about that. It's literally people's jobs to go see these movies and talk about them. And the movies are, you know, some of them are hybrid audience movies, but they are there to spark conversation and to give people the material to talk about them. And that's why I think it's no accident these get written up in art form and somebody comes up with a name for all of these movies. Mm Mm-hmm. But as time goes on, they become pretty hard H horror movies. Mm-hmm. And although, you know, at any point we could have had the argument, I kind of wanted to paint us in a corner by the time we get to them, where we're really going, it would actually be challenging for a lot of people who don't like horror to have a substantive conversation about them. Mm-hmm. And that's what tells me we're really looking at this. And, you know, basically people will dismiss it as, oh, it's some horror movie. Now, you and I, this is where I'm very excited about us doing this. We are constantly looking at movies like this and going, well, even if the filmmakers set out to do nothing with their movie, horror movies tell us so much about the time they come out and why they're about the thing they are and why that scares people. So even the most vapid horror movies that set out to say nothing and just uh, get people to watch the movie, Mm -hmm. and the ones that are even just as crass and commercial as possible, even those have something to say about the society they exist in. Mm-hmm. So I knew that no matter where we went in this, by the time we got to the horror stuff, we would still find pieces to um, pull apart. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's this movie. I think this movie intentionally sets out to do some things, but it. Uh, I think this movie intentionally sets out to do some ambitious things. It has uh, some narrative themes It has, we'll get into some of that. But what I will say is that the flip side is that horror audiences will carry something and give it a legacy, whereas festival movies that just appeal to critics and people who attend festivals and, you know, the non-horror types of movies, Mm -hmm. the non-genre fest movies, often are kind of flash-in-the-pan movies. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason that... People talk about French extreme movies today, but we don't hear, you imagine something like Mumblecore. We don't hear a mm-hmm. lot about Mumblecore. When's the last time people were having conversations about Mumblecore movies? Right, especially positive ones. 
Well, of course. I mean, that's kind of how all of this goes, I feel, is yeah. that people are sort yeah. of like, people talk about these movies, any movement of film, people talk about it to be like, fuck this movement of film. Even French right. New Wave was, you know, sure. and those were literally the critics making those movies, and it was still like, <laughs> oh, these fucking movies. And it takes people a while to turn around on stuff. Mm-hmm. That might be hypocritical, but that's my read of French New Wave, but sure. I'm not an expert. Ask people who went to <laughs> film school or something. I don't know what I'm talking about. Ask the French. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when these movies really become horror movies, they've faded out from critics wanting to, to talk about them five years later. That's no longer, you know, when we were talking about um, Pola X or, mm-hmm. you know, Pola X, Pola X or what would be a better example? I mean, Criminal Lovers would probably be a better example of this. You know, when we were talking about Criminal Lovers or even Pola X, those are dark films, but they're the kind of films that people talked about a lot at the time. And with each passing year, people are going to focus more on those directors' newer movies. But horror movies are not like that. Horror movies, the audiences will grab them and hold on to them, and they still hit the top of letterbox charts. People are still watching these movies. Mm-hmm. And so a movie like them, even though it may appear to be one of the less talky ones of the French extreme, I guess the point I'm making here is as this kind of, uh, you could view it as, you know, backsliding into being horror movies, but I think it is that transition into pure, what did I say before, like capital H horror, Mm -hmm. proper, proper horror movie. Yeah, yeah. I think that is part of the reason for the longevity. Sure. So that puts well, us, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, well, and one of the things that's, it's, you know, I keep making jokes about it every time we have one of these episodes, but when you get to new French extreme movies, you know, there's three promises. One is new, one is French, and one is extreme. And they're all varying degree. They're all new. I mean, so fucking what, not anymore, but you know what I mean? So it, it's really a question of like how French and how extreme. Mm-hmm. And, it, that's not to say it's Enter not a, Romania, <laughs> right? Um, but it, it well with them, yeah. I mean, how French, questionable, how extreme. Honestly, man, that's the that's the thing that really fucking gets my goat on this one. Is uh, you know we have watched up until this point fucking six movies where people are fucking cutting off their own arms and gouging out eyes so that they look like dolls and murdering Uh people and murdering people who don't, you know, murdering their own brothers. I mean, it is, it is, it is slaughter and carnage and guaranteed blood on the floor for six fucking consecutive journeys on the French extreme side. And, and then we go, here comes the big, we're finally in uh-huh, the extreme uh-huh. portion of French extreme and like uh, my, I don't know if it's because we've done six of these or if it's because this movie is like you're saying intentionally trying to do something artistically valuable, but like it feels not saying it doesn't feel like a horror movie or that it doesn't feel frightening, but I don't know if I would call this all that extreme. Yeah. It's like more to, horror and less gore film. Yeah. And, and we're, we're really talking about this thing that we've been trying to dispel the whole time, mm-hmm. which is extreme does not mean gore film. Right. And we keep getting tricked. You know, this, I have you, ha- I let you have a little shaitan 
yeah. uh, last last time, <laughs> and now we just can't even remember a time where they weren't filled with piles of red goo. Uh, we do have, so we have this movie, and it harkens back to. We don't see a lot of this in the new French Extremity, but I I couldn't help but. Whew, sorry. So I see an immediate parallel with the movie we've done previously in Base Moi because we've returned to our mini DV. Mm-hmm. Poor little era of filmmaking, mini DV, which I talked about extensively on that episode. But you see how this is even creating a different look with this, right? Like this movie doesn't look like Base Moi. Mm-mm. And it kind of, it's interesting for this journey because it, it illustrates a difference here. But, you know, Base Moi, I mean, this movie was lit. Base Moi was not lit. It's natural light, and it really kind of gives the middle finger to caring about something like light. That's not what that's about. And mm-hmm. so when we get here, even though it has this similar tie of this kind of low-budget, new digital format of, of filmmaking that enabled people to do different things, uh, mostly get their movies made, put their money elsewhere, etc., it makes these great choices for a horror film. You know, one, we, we get a lot more color here, but it's really more about light. We get all of this intentional lighting through the whole movie. It's designed. And that's not just a great choice aesthetically, but it's hard to, to try to do a horror movie that when I say horror, I mean, you know, has scares. Mm-hmm. To try to do that without a frame falling to darkness, that's kind of tough. <laughs> So right. you lose like one of your big tools when, you, when you're just like, fuck you lighting, I'm going to make a horror movie with no lighting. Um, so I think that's a big thing that you see, like you can literally see the separation from some of the earlier French extreme movies like Base Moi, mm-hmm. even though we're using some similar tools here, they're to different ends. Especially as we move into like the claustrophobic scenes and the... Sure. The... Um, I don't know, all of the looking out, right from the beginning of the movie, we're looking out in a darkness, even the, the opening mm-hmm. before we sit there with our characters. What we get is a, I mean, I guess we could logline it. It's a simple and effective home invasion movie. So however you want to do the logline of that. And it's done in this, um, so it's our two characters they're in their house, my favorite kind of house, you know, this uh, this like old European expansive kind mm-hmm. of um, kind of house that you get out there. And although this is in Romania, so we're in Romania, we're following our two French characters. They're safely inside their little French house in the middle of Romania, wherever the fuck they are. And suddenly there's intruders. And... The intruders get really interesting, but I'm not going to get too much into that. So I, I think, you know, the, the real part in the log line that needs to be pointed out is that this plays out in a very Kafka kind of, like, who are the intruders? Mm-hmm. Well, we have no time. It doesn't matter. You got to just, you need to be running away. So I think this movie's really compelling in a horror sense because there's so many fucking questions. And I found myself, even though it's 
done on low budget mini DV, which is usually like my fixation of right. just uh, you know past memories of how bad it was to try and film things on mini DV, and that's all I can think about. I really get into the movie, despite all of that. I forget about the format. I forget about all of that. And I'm just right there going, oh my God, are we going to get out of the attic with all of this, you know, um, plastic sheeting and oh, hide under that table. And I really stay stuck in it. And part of it is figuring out slowly, like, what the fuck is going on here? We did uh, an episode on Ready or Not that talked a lot about cat and mouse and how mm-hmm. you can kind of use some questions and use some different techniques to really keep that interesting, even though cat and mouse is inherently kind of like just chase people around in a circle, and that's you know the start and end of it. So if we want to talk about these themes a little bit and what I think this movie is talking about, I think the most important thing to know is that this house that they're in is very French. And Mm -hmm. trying to understand where the French elements are and where the Romanian elements are, I mean, the, the key to unlocking a lot of this is that final line in the movie, which uh, I guess I won't repeat because it it spoils things, but it specifically mm-hmm. calls the people in the house out mm-hmm. as the they, as the them. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about, um, and you know, we don't even, and so when you think about the 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 idea of the other is our two main characters. They're not in their home country. They mm-hmm. are in Romania. These are French people in Romania. And so if you're familiar with a lot of horror movies or you've seen the, the, a lot of the films that we talk about and have talked about on the American side of some of this influence, this is when I feel like we finally get a real soulful connection to a movie like Hostel. So what's really happening in this movie? It's these two characters. They're over in a foreign country and they're not concerned with Romania. They're not concerned with becoming part of that culture. They stay inside their little, very French style house <laughs> that might as well, that, is, that looks so like some movie shot in, or, you know, Berlin or, or one of these... Um, these places where you could do uh, uh, at least a co-production type French movie. Nestled safe inside there with no concern for the outside world, and then the outside world comes knocking. And it disrupts their their sort of uh, setup that they've made for themselves where they're far away from everybody else. Right, which is, that's very French extreme, is you have to have that sort of like, small group that's been remotified to a certain degree that's always part of it part of part of the movie is always is always one two three people being removed from society well we've seen this more and more this kind of like travel film as we've Mm -hmm. gone through this i think we've done more than the average you know most of these movies are not these kind of travel films but when i say that i mean like 29 palms Mm-hmm. Right, that was French people enter or people speaking French enter an area they're unfamiliar with. Danger looms, mm-hmm. and we saw that with 
Shaitan. Shaitan, Shaitan, how the fuck do you say that, the name of that movie again? And we saw that in the last one as well, mm-hmm. where, <laughs> where Vincent Cassell's cottage is not, you know, where the outsider's there. And so it's kind of like a travel rural countryside mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. So there's also this othering thing happening going on there that talks a little about immigration it talks a little about really i think it's this kind of fear i mean imagine just what was happening in the united states we'll make this a really american heavy we've talked maybe not on the episode way back in the day but you and i have had a lot of conversations about hostile being this kind of like fear of travel Mm -hmm. it's the fear in a post 9-11 world of americans going abroad and if you remember what we were doing in horror in america at the time it was a lot of this fear of the threatening of the American way, fear of travel, and looking at Americans as different from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we had just been attacked by terrorists and everybody's concern. I mean, put yourself back in the time of 9-11. All the concerns were our freedoms are threatened the very core of what makes us American is threatened. We have to get back out there and do the American stuff to show everybody we're America. And we got in wars over it. And then the the concerns that really came home were like immigration. Remember back to like what South Park was doing at the time or any of these shows that really had their their finger on like the moment. They took our jobs. That's what we mm-hmm. were doing. Mm-hmm. We were we were fear-stoking about immigration. And specifically, what I remember is the melting pot. You know, this yeah. American idea that everybody should just like fucking get in here and start adapting mm-hmm. American things and Good thing leave there. we got there. past that. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, our concerns are so much more like advanced now. But you know, at this time, um, France had just gotten rid of the franc and now mm-hmm. was adopting the euro. Um, the euro, and there's there were concerns. I think that France was becoming less French, and mm-hmm. I don't know if this is also like France has a history of these terror attacks a, a little bit more recently. So I'm not really here to say exactly why that is, mm-hmm. but what I see in this movie is this othering of another country, talking about you know, people coming into the homeland and disrupting things, coming into our perfectly created environment, our little isolated place, you know, treating, uh, and a lot of home, you know, and a lot of home invasion movies do that. They take our safe little space that we've built that's ours and foreign invaders come in. And so it's a perfect metaphor for this kind of thing. And there's an interesting little bit of a reversal on it because we're in another country, which I think combined with the fact that it's French, if we identify with the French people in this movie, but we're in Romania, there's, you know, there's a reversal on that. Who is the foreign invader that's highlighted at the end of the movie? And all of that stuff makes me think we are intentionally talking about that. So it's a little bit to chew on uh, for what I think is otherwise just, you know, also just a very effective for being a low-budget movie and has Mm -hmm. some really devastating stuff in it. And we've left a whole element of it kind of like, there's a whole theme (laughs) of it we kind of can't talk about because 
you know, it would really spoil stuff, but that's in there too. I wanted to give people <laughs> an opening since this is our last one. Yep. So, you know, where we leave this off here really is kind of the end of the movement. It's another RIP uh, mm-hmm. right next to where you ended exploitation. But right about the same time, you know, we're doing, if you haven't seen the other big ones in the new French extremity, a lot of them are coming out right at this moment. Obviously, High Tension was the one that hit really big in America, mm-hmm. but Inside came out at the same time as them. Um, Frontiers, Martyrs, those were all coming out this year, next year, the mm-hmm. year before. And there is a temptation, surely, to cut off at Martyrs as just like the peak of the new French extremity, mm-hmm. especially because, as you were saying, you know, it delivers that gore fest bit in mm-hmm. a huge way as well. So I think people want to think back to this simply as, you know, movies like Martyrs and stop it there. But you do get some of these lesser known movies that come out after Martyrs. You get, and by the way, these are all on our Patreon. We've done Inside, we've done Martyrs. We haven't done Mm -hmm. all of the new French Extremity, but man, there's a lot that's on there. Yep. After this movie, The Pack comes out in 2010 which deals with a little bit of that secondary theme that I did not address in this movie. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in that, you know, there is an opening for us to talk about in that in the pack, um, P-A-C-K, uh, sometime in the future. And Among the Living is another one. Among the Living's a little bit later too, it's 2014. So, you know, we, we do start to get in a really vague territory where it's just like, well, would we call The Horde a new French extremity movie. Mm-hmm. It's a horror movie. It came out around that era. Um, I'm not really interested in whether we're going to nitpick because as you know, it's never really much of a, a <laughs> official genre in the first place. But I will say there are two pretty recently that you could make arguments to put in there. Uh, one was Revenge, which I made mm-hmm. that argument to myself when I sat in an art house watching Revenge in 2017 because I just thought it was so fucking cool this movie was playing in a theater in America. And it it chews on some brutal stuff. It's mm-hmm. got some interesting uh, uh, bits in there that could be called New French Extremity. And then, of mm-hmm. course, Raw. Yeah, I knew you were going to say Raw. Which, you know, is it's got some body elements, which we saw in the movie In My Skin. Yep. Uh, so there's some commonality with that. I feel a little of that Baisemois spirit in it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a little young and a little punk and it hits some taboos. And so if you wanted to make a spiritual argument for Raw and Revenge, you could do that. If this was fairly new to you, see High Tension. Um, I pointed out the movie See the Sea. Mm-hmm. which is maybe the earliest example of any of the stuff that I personally love. But as you and I have talked about a couple times on here, if you really want to get the best sense in a popular movie of what I really think the new French extremity is, see Irreversible. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of Gasper's other stuff, I Stand Alone would probably mm-hmm. be another one that really embodies the spirit of, you know... The new French extremity is kind of just whatever you want to fucking make of it at the end of the day. But if you look at the movies that we talked about, and if you really watch, as we now have on this show, almost all of these fucking movies, I feel like Irreversible and I Stand Alone do a pretty good job of 
kind of showing the most brutal and the hardest push of what a lot of these movies are doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we did it. It's time to go. All right, fine. Uh, hey, it's Eric. So we never finished the very end of this episode. We meant to record what's next together, but it just hasn't happened. I'm really proud of this journey and this episode, so no matter what happens, I just wanted this to get released. I figure I'd do it now. Um, but, you know, I want to talk about something else, too. You've probably noticed that we've been struggling to get episodes out the last couple months. And, you know, even now with the year nearly complete, it just hasn't been um, enough to even, you know, push through to the end. I don't really know how to talk about this. Like, we've given this a, a try a few times on the show, and I feel like I've never been totally honest about it. So I'm just going to lay it all out in this rough, messy recording and leave it in the show. Um, We talk about the Patreon so often, I just have to assume people have become numb to it. So I'm not going to make a big call to action or an update or anything here, but I want to be transparent about something that's happened. I have... I've also talked a lot on the show about having depression. And so, you know, if you've been listening a long time, you know all about that. I feel like it's made its way uh, into every show, whether I've wanted it to or not. And I guess the other thing that's important to this is to know that I do all the engineering for the show myself. So, you know, we don't have a team. We don't have enough money and after a decade of experimenting this is just the best way we know how to do this show uh where it can be the thing that we want it to be where it can happen quick enough and where we can get it done with the resources we have but you know we like we don't have enough money to keep doing the show and i think we've talked about that a lot but at the moment we're like $250 a month short. And I knew that that would make the show harder to do, that it would cost money out of my own pocket. But like we've always known that that's, uh, we've always kind of known that's how the show is going to be. We'll go out and we will try to raise the money we need and we'll just kind of like strap the thing together and do it however we can. So I guess what I'm getting at is I didn't anticipate the toll that this would eventually take on me mentally or emotionally, I guess. Uh, You know, the... Like coming on here every week to say we've fallen short and we really just need a little help. And then seeing the number go down instead of up. Like, that isn't anyone's fault but our own. Um, But, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's been demoralizing for me. The 
time that the show takes is already a lot. The extra days I had to work to make money to keep it online, that's a lot. Uh, and, you know, like my own mental health fluctuates on its own. There's the state of the world. Like there's all these different factors in, in the sort of pressure of it being too much. But I just feel like that's the point I've been at and why things are taking longer and longer is I just can't, I can't uh, like stay above water with all of that. Um, I guess what I'm also feeling is that even when the world has been very bleak and, you know, as it becomes very bleak again, I felt like we all had each other and I took a lot of comfort in that. But, you know, the numbers go down every month on the Patreon and it gets harder and harder to sustain that kind of feeling that sort of like we're all in it together, uh, whatever it is. And, you know, and this is just on me. I'm just not strong enough to persevere anymore. I can't keep watching that shrink and then still manage to pick myself up again and again. Um, <laughs> it's hard enough to record this. I'm already feeling this sort of like self-conscious regret about doing it, but I'm just going to leave it in. Uh, anyways, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm never honest about this and I always weigh the sort of like trying to be upbeat. I know maybe I don't sound upbeat on the show, but I do try really hard to like shrug off some of what I'm really feeling and like stay on topic. And as a result of, you know, like self-consciousness, I'm, I feel like I'm never honest about, you know, where I am mentally. The show, I mean, podcasting is so different now than when we started when we had to explain to people what a podcast is. Like today, every single top show is made by a corporation or a media company. And the best model we have of independent success is, you know, right-wing blowhards. It's a model I can't even come to terms with existing, let alone participate in it. I, I don't know how independents make it except for, you know, directly connecting with their audience. This is the only way I know how to do this. And I also think maybe there's too many options now that maybe people don't need this show or maybe, you know, we think the episodes are really good, but uh, other people don't or I, I don't know what it is. But... You know, we just can't seem to get the money together to do it. And I can't go on telling myself it's just an off month. And it's just an off month again and again and again. It's just built up and I feel like I'm ignoring something obvious. So if you've lapsed on the Patreon or, you know, whatever the reason you thought you were on there but you didn't or you meant to sign back up or whatever it is, this is going to be our last try to get this together, get the money we need to, to keep it online. 
you know, if we can't scrape together like 250 bucks, I mean, maybe I'm recording this and no one's even hearing it. Uh, I don't know, whatever, this is a lot. What I really came here to say is that we're going to do Dune and Spice World next time. Man, if that doesn't undercut everything I just said, Dune and Spice World, it's like, uh, it, you know, it's a bit of a gag. It's the last episode of the year. We already recorded it, and I hadn't come to terms with being honest about how demoralizing the fundraising has been and how, on top of everything else, it's just... Like, I guess I wanted to be honest now when I still had an opportunity to record something. So thanks for listening to this whole thing, this whole long rambling, unedited thing. And, you know, if there are people listening, like if you really are out there, and I'm not just speaking into space, um, you don't know how happy it would make me to know that anyone still hears this. Okay, that's it. Bye.